I felt that I could get in trouble. I always live with this fear. The choices that I've made for myself, especially being a, a black woman in a Caribbean country that people say that racism doesn't exist because, <laughs> oh man, Puerto Rico is something else. I have two daughters, one's 12, Alina. The other one is four, that's Eva. They're both from different fathers. They live in Florida and I am an orphan. So I am basically raising them on my own. I shows all the unpopular ways to decide to raise them. I always thought there was another way to do schooling. And I always knew there was another way to do stuff, but maybe I just wasn't up to do the research. So I decided, you know what? I can homeschool this kid. Honestly, she never liked studying, like sitting down and studying, and I never judged her for that. So I decided to do the homeschooling. I did the same mistake a lot of homeschool parents do. Here's your book, just go to school. I didn't do the de-schooling process. And I think the only reason I really did not like just chill and do it is because of the external pressure, because I told everybody that I was going to do homeschooling. So and this approval is huge, so you have to show up and you have to prove otherwise that you're not crazy and that you do know what you're doing. And everybody was like, oh yeah, you, you always were a good student. I know you're going to be good at this. You also met people that will be, but you're not a teacher. What the fuck? So we started the homeschooling thing. Of course, she resisted it because she just never, she doesn't like it. I totally understand her. But I got frustrated. But at the end, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to chill and I'm just going to let her be. She learned reading on her own. Uh, she was at the Girl Scouts. She was swimming. I was satisfied because I didn't feel that pressure. But as soon as my daughter would be, everybody, you know, the small talk, like, how old are you now? What school are you going to? Oh, you're homeschooled. Like, oh, you know, and the questions start. And my daughter started being very timid because of that, because people basically started harassing her. Through all these years, I was starting to look for ways that I could do homeschooling and it wouldn't be so boring or we were eclectic homeschoolers or what were we? And then when I finally understood what the unschooling thing was about, I was like, yes, this is us. This is us. And I shilled. Anyways, on 2015, I meet this guy. He started eventually an ALC. I was really happy with them. I told a lot of people about them. People would be going, but of course, once they heard about the price, they were uh, scared. Also, there were the people that were like with concerned with the unschooling thing about it, especially parents that have teenagers that are concerned, oh, but what's gonna happen when my kid reaches college age? And at the end of the day, a lot of people don't really want to unschool or do something different. They just want a different way for their students to get to the same place, which is go to college. You're hearing a clip from one of the upcoming series on Raising Free People Network. You're listening to Daritzia in Puerto Rico talking about trusting herself and trusting her daughters and the obstacles to thriving when you decide to go against the standardization and the indoctrination in those vital ways. Adopting this unschooling mindset, especially for the Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria, is what's going to save us. Because this has been just a blatant 
smack in the face of what colonialism is, what it is to be part of the outskirts of the United States and have the United States have the, the president that has now, that is just really the manifestation of, of whiteness and the United States is. You know, just have him tell us like, whatever, you people are complaining too much. You know, and having this kind of conversations over here, it's hard, you get censored. The point is that I, I just wanna try to make a community-based network of people like me, that we can just help each other and support each other in our decisions. You know, we were four months and three weeks without no electricity. And that really fucks up your mind. It's it's really traumatic. And, you know, she said she wants to go back to school. I tell her she needs to pick her books and all this is going on. She's not going to want to go back to school. She's, her mindset is not going to be there. And same goes for other kids. Same goes for me that I wanted to go back to school. I tried and I'm just traumatized. It's just awful, the things that have been happening. Free Child is a weekly podcast that centers diverse narratives, insightful commentary, learning with our children and de-schooling ourselves, owning our multiple identities and treating children with dignity, creating community and sharing conversation from often silenced spaces, breathing life into liberation practices proactively and on purpose. Yeah, one of my favorite things that my sister-in-law has done with my niece is when Parker doesn't want a kiss or a hug from a family member, she's like, okay. And she, she has really taught Parker about bodily autonomy, even in, in age-appropriate ways, of course. But it's so important. And, you know, little kids have really good instincts. If they don't want to hug someone, there's a reason. And we may never know that reason, but I trust children to... Tell me how they want me to behave with them. A conversation with authors Roxane Gay and Ijoma Oluo. If you don't know either of those writers and activists, go to the show notes page, akilasrichards.com forward slash 72, and you will get the link to this conversation. It's a video from a conversation that Roxanne and Ijoma had back in February of last year at Town Hall Seattle. Really great conversation. And the reason I wanted to share that particular clip with you was because about an hour and 10 minutes into the conversation, they were talking about bodily autonomy and bringing that back to children. And then when Roxanne ended her statement, essentially with that, she trusted Parker, she trusted her niece. That's the part that I wanted to bring to your attention. We trust children. I trust children. And unschooling, even though there are necessarily a lot of different definitions about what unschooling is, and I think that's a good thing, actually, the principles are deeply rooted. And one of, if not maybe the main principle, is that we trust children. We trust children. And today, I want to talk about how crazy that shit can feel in a world that does the exact opposite. And in a world where we ourselves, most of us, were not afforded that same right, you know, the right to be treated as trustworthy. You're going to hear 
kind of mid-conversation with Chris and I talking about why that shit can feel crazy and some of the disruptive techniques for liberated parenting, like replacing the term my child with my partner when things get all the way real. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Going back to with the girls, I think a part of it is that we didn't even recognize it. Like it was a blank to us mm. because there's so many other things sitting in front of our relationship to them. There's our expectations of what it, it means to be an adult and to have a, a child that was put in from how we were raised. It's hard initially to look back and say, like, let's assume you enjoyed your childhood. Why wouldn't you want to give your child that? So then your thought is to replicate that instead of making it about the experience that they're having to do over whatever it was your childhood was before. That's an inherent blinder because we use that kind of stuff for like social context. We override organic relationships for social programming. Like mm -hmm. it's, it, the idea is that you We're don't do this in public. To standardize also. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's inherent. Yeah. Like that's the whole point. Like we're all so that we're all on the same thinking mind. That way is inherent in the system, which yes. is why we couldn't leave our children in it and still say we're raising free people. Yeah, that's right. how a system replicates itself. It gets you to accept a basic set of logic. If the logic starts to get wavy, then the system doesn't have anything to stand on. It goes to computer systems. It goes to any system you can think of. You need to have tenants. So based on that, it's hard to look outside of that and say, is there another way to get the same end result? Is the end result the success of the child or the happiness of the child? Once you see the system for what it is, you start to question what the actual goals are. What is the thing that you wanted to achieve? I'm less interested in my children being wealthy and more about them being happy. So it changes my context of what their life should look like. And what you trust or don't trust, because if your focus isn't on wealth, mm -hmm. already you're going to be viewing the system differently because a lot of people are cramming towards this idea of competition. You know, how can I get my kid in the position highest above everybody else? Yeah. And this is not a, a judgment thing, right? We're, we're really, no, it's, it's a reasoning. It's acknowledgement. And it's a reasoning. Yeah. It's a reasoning to say that for so many of us, we're so focused on that. Like our, you know, our child being wealthy for all sorts of perfectly valid reasons. We're focused on that. But when we stop looking in that direction now, then we don't see the system the same way anymore. We don't trust the same things. We start questioning things. That's what the original question was, right? Like, mm -hmm the barriers basically to trust. The core of unschooling is that we trust children and we trust learning and also that we trust ourselves. But the barriers to that basic tenet of trusting children is exactly what you, you said right there. Inherently in the system is the idea that we have to look to something else as authority. Yeah, I, I'm not sure. It's definitely the hierarchy that's set up. That's how we're, we're taught to see things and taught to approach things. There needs to be a leader. There needs to be followers. There needs to be workers. There needs to be CEOs. That's it keeps how trust, that's what you can trust. Yeah, right. That's what you're trusting in is mm -hmm. the structure. If mm -hmm. the structure starts to, to waver, then you get scared because you're like, that, that's the tenant that I've built this whole society on is mm -hmm. that this is going to remain. Yes. Right. So with children, I'm not completely sure that people that we trust ourselves as much just for simple things like 
I think people stop themselves before they actually consider what their life would look like and an expansion of that, what the rest of the world would look like if you, you kind of got rid of preconceived notions, whether that's through religion, science, history, all those things. All those things shift in the same way. For instance, history. In school, we're all taught a certain type of history. We all can repeat that history. We know that history. It's a part of our everyday thing. We have holidays built around that history. Meanwhile, now we're finding out that a lot of that history was false, was not true. Mm -hmm. It was completely made so up. So Thanksgiving, for example, yeah. the story around it versus the reality of what happened. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so now when you take that away, people, they have trouble with now accepting this new idea of what Thanksgiving actually means. And they refuse to adjust their thinking, like this fear of losing nostalgia and, and losing some sense of personal history oh, with yeah. them. They can't compare the two. They can't look at the two and they can't analyze the two and just move on with their life and say, okay, that was wrong. From here on out, this is how I'm going to operate. But it's we're hard less to willing to do that because we are groomed into standardization. Right. Building blocks. Yes. We're taught that you build on build on build. But when the thing at the very bottom, now you have to question it. Everything that you built looks shaky. Yeah. Right? Everything looks shaky. Whereas if you allow things to kind of move how they move and how nature see, you get revealed to things in yes. a certain way. The it same is way with emergent. Children. That's right. the so, term. I love that term for that reason. Yes, but we don't we don't trust that. Everything that we've gotten from the very beginning, basically, as people, once we start walking, okay, they got it. They're walking without holding on to something. You are put in a direction. Mm -hmm. Go here, sit here this at this the time, step. do the yeah. yes. And then you start to go to pre-K the preparation for school. Mm -hmm. And then each grade level is the preparation for the next grade level. None of them are preparation for life or the world. Mm -hmm. They're just the preparation for the next grade level, mm -hmm. right? So you go further and further down a path, your head goes down further, and then boom, you hit grade 12. And it's like, oh, okay, straighten your back up a little bit, a little bit. You're going to get these things called electives mm -hmm. up in this bitch if you do choose to go to college, which you totally should, because that's the other thing everything prepared you for, because mm -hmm. it literally is called college readiness, Yeah. right? And then you go there, and then you do some things <laughs> um, with yeah. some level of reality. freedom, simulation, and reality in mm -hmm. these things, and then... You leave there, and then if you don't have your shit together, that's on you because you got all the right preparation. Mm -hmm. But everybody just about mm -hmm. hits that brick wall of like, oh shit, it wasn't trustworthy. All those things that I trusted that if I did these things, then this would happen. That's not my reality. That's not the reality of a lot of people around me. This is not the people's fault. Mm -hmm. It isn't the people that fail the system. And it isn't about blaming the system. It's about recognizing the problem so we can stop feeding into that damn system. Right. Um, and that people go in if and when they want to fully, fully aware of their power mm -hmm. and their community, you know, and having real life experience making good decisions for themselves so that if they choose school at any level, they can thrive there. But that's not what's happening for most of us. Yeah. There's always this undercurrent of, um, you have to hold reigns tightly whether that's that's in like your own level of thinking or dealing with a child there's this idea like you have to manage the wave you have to focus the wave and have it do something in that way right and the thing that keeps showing up time and time again is like 
that way gets you comfortable. You get comfortable feeling like, okay, now that I've focused this wave, this is what the wave looks like all the time. Yeah. And then you run into a, a thing where you you have to step outside of that and you realize there's a whole other world. There's whole other types of waves. There's all different types of colors of water. There's all there's all different types of stuff. Yeah. When you have to now come to face to face and deal with that, you're shook. You're completely shook. Yeah. You don't you don't know how to manage that. By because design. It, of yeah, course. All of us have this capacity to and this crave, you know, to to fill in you know, to feed curiosity, to become. And then that becoming starts to get more and more specific as we move throughout the world, as we start to be mobile and walk on our own mm -hmm. and, you know, go to places and all of that. But then we get stuck inside of this thing that does the opposite of that, mm -hmm. which is schooling. Yeah. Then the thing says, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. We get that all of these things are innate. Mm -hmm. But we're going to do something contrary to it. And yes, we know that it was built on the idea of standardizing people's time and tasks for factories. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we get that. That doesn't make sense anymore. That was the industrial era. We're in the era of imagination. And we're still sticking people in a place that is the antithesis of creativity and imagination and doesn't even prepare you for that. It says that you get the right to it when you go through it, right. after you go through it for all of these years. Right. Well, come on. So if you're afraid to look at that, you're afraid to consider an alternative to something like having younger people involved in decision making. It's hard for you to gather that a younger person might have a better idea of what to do right now than you do. The idea is to take that concept of older being better positioned to make decisions mm -hmm. as standard. And, yeah. and that's not the case now. There is definitely a place for older wisdom, for wisdom and that type of thing that comes from experience. But the way that we're looking at it is so like archaic in a sense. You completely disregarded a whole part of your population, their input and how they see the world and how they see what's best for, you know, being led by you, quote unquote. You've taken that whole group of people and said, you're not ready to make a decision yet. You're not ready to, yeah. to, to have input yet. And that's adultism, but, you know, or childism. That's, that's what that term basically okay. means. And I can't even front that when I first heard it. I was like, really? Yeah. With children's rights every day as much as I do for my kid? I, I'm like encroaching on their rights. Okay. That's how it showed up in my mind at first. Right. But a right is a right and freedom is freedom and oppression is oppression. Like whatever direction you're looking at it at and power is power. Yeah. And there were so many instances where that's where the phrase came from using tools of oppression, trying to raise free people. Yeah. So it's like, I can't. And that's what schooling ended up being for us. One of those tools of oppression that we're like, well, yeah, but just contort a little bit. Just wear one shackle. It's yeah. going to be a pretty shackle. Maybe that's more the the human component to it all is that there's a thing that happens with power. Power, I guess, for a lot equals safety. You feel safe when you feel empowered. Yeah. So any dilution of your power is like a dilution of your safety in a yeah. lot of sense. So to that degree, I can, I can see where the two overlap and I can see how it could also be easily manipulated and controlled if that is a common thing amongst us all. When you start to challenge preconceived notions like the idea that you know children don't have any sense and you kind of need to fill them with a bunch of mm -hmm. stuff and 
when they get there, then they get there. Then you can also consider what it would look like to deal with children in a way that's not coercive. It's, it's more of, here's our experience as to what's happened before. Here's the problem as we see it. What do you think? Mm-hmm. Really, really being open to other types of thought. But those type of things challenge your own safety. Now you're, you feel like you're giving up your control over what your life looks like to someone that you feel is ill-prepared. Yes, exactly. And then on top of that, there's the gaze of the rest of the world judging you in part based on how you control or whether you seem in control of your children. That's one of the gazes that we don't talk enough about, the parenting gaze, that so much of our decision is influenced by how we think people are judging us. And that a big part of that judgment is how much in control we seem of the children under our regime. In some instances, that is your only source of power. You know, some people were raised in that household. They were that child at home, was the only place where the adult felt empowered. And so it was run like a regime. That's what a lot of the trust issues come from, because if you've never seen that sort of trust, because of that, it didn't foster a sense of self-trust, then how do you offer trust to your child? That's the dissonance that shows up between what you know that you want from the sense of equality and fairness and love and what you experience, the feelings you experience as you relate to your child, Mm -hmm. you know, from the day you meet them and it continues. The dissonance between that and, as you said, that thing towards, I don't know if that shit will work if we talk about everything all the time, but I know that I'm all right. I'm an okay human and I got my ass whooped and Mm -hmm. that sort of dissonance. That's real as shit. I hear that from a lot of people and I know I experience it myself, but with a lot of the different boundary setting, you know, those hard lines. So what does it mean then that I could replace my child with my partner? What does it mean that I can, I can replace that and everything you just said still holds? That's what I use. That's one of the tools that I use to practice raising free people, mm-hmm. right? That in a moment when, when if Sage says something or Mar says something and I'm about to pop off, I say that. That's a disruptor for me. Would I say this to Chris? Would I react this way with Chris or with Denise? Somebody that I'm like, nah, this is like my peoples. Mm -hmm. No. And so the only way that I would allow it to happen is if I was just using that position of power or if I felt unsafe and I was reacting to my feelings and not necessarily the big picture of what was going on there. Mm -hmm. That's a very effective disruptor for me. Because in most instances, it is interchangeable. Mm -hmm. It is about me. Right. It's about me. It's a person to person interaction, you being the person that's right. What is my principle? What is my approach to this sort of thing? Whoever the fuck it is. Right. So when it becomes something that doesn't match up with your adult and child interaction, then you know it's a matter of power. Yes. So so The other pattern is you could take that same thing, the same approach that we just talked about, the relationship between the adult and the child, put it between a man and a woman. That's sexism. Like that, the whole idea that if you're able to operate the same way with someone that looks like you and you can relate to on that sense, when you're dealing with someone that doesn't look like you, how do you change? How do you act different? That difference that you're seeing, that's your level of power. 
if you're able to get face to face to somebody and talk to them and not have any fear that they're going to do anything to you because you know you can crush them, that's probably not someone that looks like you. Yeah, there's a certain level of power that comes with that. If you know you can walk into a, a store and you know that people will be falling over themselves to help, like genuinely help you and not be concerned that you're there to steal something, but genuinely like, how can I help you? You kind of can tell the difference when you, you go into another space and they're like, what are you doing here? You don't belong here. What do you want? That's them in that position of power there. So those power dynamics, they are nuanced in that they have differentiators, very clear delineations of the different isms. But power, which is one of the connectors, the, the primary connector, the there is power. Everybody it's a right. Yeah. And so that's a way that you can gauge whether you're operating from this position of tapping into your power or using your power sort of as a, a hammer. As I keep writing about, like, we can use that power as a parent, like a hammer, as opposed to an empowered space that nurtures and supports our children not necessarily from a space of their compliance, which is what we're groomed towards. And that's one of the primary barriers to trusting children. And the cost of that, the fear of that is that we, by default, entrust them to systems. Mm -hmm. And then we have to figure out how to spend years and worse. More importantly, they spend years de-schooling from those systemic wounds. Right. Right. Seven Reasons Kids Like Me podcast. I used to hate writing and tried to avoid writing, but since I started podcasting, I love to write and do research while learning new things. I got so in love with writing that I'm even writing a book with my best friend. Anyway, enough about me. Do your kids sound like me? Then here are seven reasons kids like me podcast. Number one, not everyone is a big fan of language arts class or diagramming sentences. With podcasting, I have to prepare what I'm going to talk about, do research, organize my thoughts, and actually talk about it out loud. Hearing myself say what I wrote, I learn grammar more naturally. Number two, helps kids like me who hated writing enjoy the writing process. Number three, it teaches you how to ask good questions. Number four, I'm even interested in the news and what's going on. Number five, I can share what I've learned just by talking about it instead of writing boring essays, and I don't have to talk my dad's ears off. Number six, in that story me and my friend are writing, we can make it come to life with voices and sound effects with podcasting. Number seven, I have deadlines and I have to be on time. Those are seven reasons kids like me podcast. Listen to my podcast when it comes out. I'm still having trouble with the deadlines. Get details from the show notes page, akilaswichards.com forward slash 72. One more clip from one of the upcoming series on Raising Free People Network from somebody familiar to our community, Monique. Mo and Farrow, the unschooling <laughs> mother and son team. Listen, she is by far one of the strongest, most gangster ass women that I know. <laughs> and we will explain what I mean by that. But I want you to hear a little bit of 
where she is now and kind of what her de-schooling journey is looking like. And you'll learn in her series about how to use a wonderful tool. It's actually an agile learning tool called ChangeUp. She's going to be basing her podcast series on her change-up process. So you'll learn all about that. And we're excited for you to um, get to know it and maybe even apply it in your own life. And I remember having a conversation and trying to explain what I was going through. And they were like, well, what's your five-year plan? And, you know, and I, I can, I was just like, I can't think about five years from now. I have a 24-hour plan. How am I ass going to get through the next 24 hours? I was just so unprepared for the things happening back to back to back like that. Like, I was like, what the, f-? you know what I'm saying? I was like, what's happening? My sense of security was at risk. It seemed like every day when you're in survival mode, you have to use so much more mental, emotional, and physical energy just to push through the day and not to even deal with crazy, crazy things, pushing through the day with basic things, like making basic decisions, like you're contemplating, you're probably not even thinking about taking a bath or combing your hair and doing those. The capacity to even deal with that stuff is out the window. Just thinking about getting enough sleep, you're not even considering that. Making the right food choices, exercising, maintaining relationships with people that's not in your household, managing your feelings and thoughts like, and I know I'm not the only person that's experienced being in that space and that's moved forward from that space. But I want to share with you how things showed up for me. What I did realize was being in survival mode is not sustainable. So I have to figure out how to survive survival mode. More from Raising Free People Network. It was just a great atmosphere to be in. There was music playing in the background, food. Some people were dancing and it was just so great. My 20s and my 30s, that era wasn't that great. And I had made a decision that the other decades to come are going to be my greatest. I just felt compelled to do something to affirm what it is that I was feeling. When I turned 50, didn't deter me one bit. I didn't feel out of place. The first episode of The Other Side of Midlife. I'm your host, Val D. I'm one of those people who really welcome turning 50. Big woman, no, because I've gone through so many things in life. I've had many experiences. And now I'm on the other side. A great time to be alive for me. I did well. I'm saying all of this to say that you have to view midlife or turning 50 as a new beginning, as a fresh outlook in life. So that was a little snippet of what's to come from the other side of midlife, a podcast that grew from a blog that Valdi started a few years ago and just kind of been hopping on. So this particular series is for our village members who are 50s, 60s, 70s, coming into their own de-schooling and unschooling spaces and really wanting to step away from this normalized idea that getting older is a bad thing and that you should focus on trying to look younger, act younger, these sort of things. So wellness is not the same thing as focusing on youth 
And Val D is going to talk about how she prioritizes her wellness and embraces the other side of midlife. (laughs) I can tell you from experience that she really lives that beautifully complicated walk of enjoying her life right now in her 60s, and it shows. So that's what's good this episode, y'all. AkilaSRichards.com forward slash 72. Do not forget about that show notes page because all of the links are there, including the link to Patreon if you want to support this podcast. And I got to shout out my newest patrons, Cherry. And then we had an increase in patronage from Thomas and Trelawney joined us too. Cherry, Thomas, Trelawney, I appreciate y'all. Thanks for listening. I got some goodies for you next week. Check back. Thanks for listening to Fair the Free Child podcast. Like the show? Then show your love or give your feedback at AkilaSRichards.com.